All right. Well, before we commence with this, I got a word I got to preach. And I feel like, I feel like uh, Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed today. I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> right? Because uh, we've, got, we've got some events that are coming in here uh, using this facility uh, early this afternoon. Uh, so we want to, we'll vacate. However, uh, the Romo family does have lunch available for everyone over at the Regent, which is just, if you leave these doors and keep walking along the sidewalk, you'll bump into the Regent uh, uh, pavilion area. And they have, uh, I believe, Chewy's coming in. And uh, so if you want some good Mexican food, come on out and celebrate with them. Amen. Uh, let me find my clicker here. All right, let's get into this. First Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. First Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. So now I want you to note, this is really weird. This is God's solution, right? He didn't say, no, I shall protect thee. He didn't say that. He said, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> he will kill you, won't you? So I'll tell you what. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Anyone else got a problem with this? Because I thought God can't lie. And yet here he is coming up with some kind of a ruse, it seems like. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. <laughs> when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. There's a reason. We'll get to it. What's wrong? They asked. <laughs> Do you come in peace? And notice he's playing along with this little ruse, this little trickery that God has up his sleeve. Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice the Lord to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So to title my sermon today, I'm just going to borrow from the scripture. Come with me to the sacrifice. What in the world is God up to? Saul had spent some time, or Samuel had spent some time rather, mourning Saul. Why was he mourning Saul? Saul had been anointed to be king. Up until now, Israel depended on the prophets to help govern them. Then Israel, even with Samuel, who had such an incredible, rich, prophetic anointing, powerful anointing on him, the people of Israel still decided, no, 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 we need to be like all the other, all the other countries. We need us a king as well. So God said, fine. He anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel had high hopes for him. But the problem is Saul started messing up. If you go back a few chapters, you find out Saul grew very impatient. 
He was about to go into battle. He wanted, he called for Samuel the prophet, come sacrifice the burnt offering so that we can have God's favor to go into battle. Well, Samuel's taking his time getting out there, right? Seven days pass. The men are starting to get a little uh, anxious and frightened. Some of them are starting to go home. So Saul says, you know what? Forget this. Bring the burnt offerings over here. I'm going to sacrifice them myself. And about the time he sacrificed them, the, these burnt offerings, Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? He said, well, you took your time getting out here and I got men that are getting shaky. So I just went ahead and just stepped in and did it myself. The problem is he had a kingly anointing. It was not his place. The prophetic anointing was supposed to be what sacrificed the animal. He was out of spiritual order. And Samuel said, do you realize what you've done? Had you been patient and had faith and waited on God, he would have established your kingdom forever. The Messiah would have come through Saul, not David. But because Saul, someone hear this, we're dealing with mindsets and systems, okay? Start seeing the symbolism in parallel. If Saul would have just had faith and waited on God, waited on the prophetic to manifest instead of trying to take things in his own hand. How often do we do that? Lord, I believe and trust your word, but you know what? You're taking your time. So here, let me get a hold of it. And we ruin an eternal harvest. That was strike one. Strike two, they're going to battle the Philistines. Saul's too afraid to attack. He makes some bogus claim. No man in my army is allowed to eat until I've Gotten revenge tonight on my enemies. That's really brilliant, Saul. You, your men are about to go fight, and you won't, you're making them fast when they're about to have to go physically fight? Jonathan and his armor bearer had no clue about any of this. Jonathan gets tired of waiting around. He says, he looks at his armor bearer. He says, hey, why don't we climb this hill right here? Let's, let's go see if we can't possibly defeat this garrison of the Philistines. The armor bearer said, hey, Turn and look at me. Look at mine heart. It is just like, do all that is in thine heart. It's just, my heart's just like your heart. Man, if we could have some armor bearer. I was picking at Ryan today. He moved the, the stand over for me. I said, ah, an armor bearer finally, right? We, but the spirit of the armor bearer, someone who will look at the man of God, the woman of God and say, hey, do everything God's telling you to do because look at my heart. My heart says the thing, same thing. What gave Jonathan the right to look at his armor bearer and say that? Because if you read early, earlier on, the Bible said that he looked at David and Jonathan's heart was knit to David's heart. Paul puts it this way in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. We have some men and women in this house who are desperately seeking God. I want to challenge you. Do you have a heart to say, do everything that is in your heart, folks, because my heart is right there with you. Man, give us some more armor bearers, God. So he hops up on the hill. Two men wipe out 20 Philistines on about a half acre of land. It freaks the rest of the Philistine armies out. They, they start fighting amongst themselves. From the act of two men, it delivers all of Israel. The, Jonathan, his armor bearer, comes back to the camp of Saul. They have no clue about this fasting oath. Jonathan's a little tired. He takes the edge of his staff, dips it into a little honey, refreshes himself with it. Saul, in his old religious mindset and his old ego-driven mentality, can't even understand that the very people that were sent to deliver Israel, he wants to kill now because of a stupid oath. 
And that's how we get. We come up with all this religiosity. We come up with all these concepts. You know, we, we're, we're all clustered here from a, a dozen different denominations and organizations. And sometimes, even though it all starts out in humbleness and goodwill, Saul, when he was anointed, he was humble, hiding up under a wagon. Yet now he is more puffed up with himself and worried about his own statutes than he is obeying the word of God. To the point that he was trying to kill his own son over his rule, not God's rule. And that's what we wind up doing within our our little sects and sections, right? We try to kill those that God has sent to liberate us. Strike three was, he decides, you know, God gave him one more chance. Samuel goes and says, hey, the Lord's instructing you, go kill the Amalekites. Strike them from the earth. Kill everyone from the king, every man, woman, child, baby, Every, all the livestock, the dogs, the cat, and the goldfish. Get them all out. Ruin them. Destroy them. Knock them off the face of the planet. Because of what they did to my people. So a few days later, Samuel goes to check it out, right? You remember the story. And sure enough, there's Saul again. You ever notice this mindset always gets spiritual? The first thing he said is, Ah, oh, blessings to you, great prophet. They, they always do that. You come walking up and they say, Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Ain't God good. And he says, What have you been doing? Ah, the Lord has given us a great victory. Matter of fact, I'm, um, it said that he was erecting a, mon a monument for himself. For himself. But then he says, Oh, God's given us a great victory. He says, He has, has he? Then who the heck is that clown? Oh, that's King Gagag. Said, really, what's all this animal noise I hear? Oh, we've saved the best of the sheep and the goats. We're going to take them back to Jerusalem to sacrifice them. Because that's really spiritual, isn't it? See, we think that we can cover up our ego and our, and, and our, our own agendas by spiritualizing some things. Man, Samuel should bring Agag over here. Samuel wound up kill him. Didn't just kill him. He hacked him up into little pieces. That's hardcore. Hacked him up into little pieces. Now you know, a few days later, after God said, okay, you've cried enough for Saul. I've rejected him. He's gone off on his own tangent. He's like off on his own deal. I'm rejecting him. Get yourself up. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse. I'm going to choose one of his sons. And so when he shows up, now you know why the people of the town came and said, oh, are you here in peace? Why? Because he just got through hacking up a man one chapter prior. They're like, man, Samuel don't play, you know? And now he's coming to our town. We kind of, oh, hey, Samuel, how you doing? I kind of like my neck. Don't, don't look at it so hard. And it's the weirdest thing. Rather than God just saying, hey, don't worry about it. I'll protect you. Saul, you know, Saul ain't going to do squat to you. Don't worry about it. No, he says, oh, I'll tell you what. I want you to go anoint a king. But take a heifer. Take that old cow out there. Lead her in there and say, hey, 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 no, no, hey, everyone relax. I don't even have a sword. All my hacking days are in the past. I have come for a sacrifice. So come with me. I thought you were going to anoint a king. What in the world are you doing? 
See, what God is doing, he's trying to shift gears from one mindset, from one system, from one thought process to another. See, when, when Saul would get a victory, he would erect a monument to himself. Yeah, here's a man out on the back 40 of his dad's pastor, David, who would pray and write lyrics and would say, create in me a clean heart, O God. This man, Saul, when he was anointed to be king, he was out chasing his father's stubborn donkeys. And that's the problem. We got a lot of religious systems that are out still chasing a lot of stubborn mindsets that are puffed up and unyielding, more, more concerned about their own agendas than the will of God. So this man was chasing his father's stubborn donkeys. This man over here, David, when he was anointed to be king, he was shepherding his father's sheep already. God said, oh, I got a man in Bethlehem. He's already doing the work. He's already got the heart I want. He's already shepherding. He's already pastoring. I need someone to pastor this nation, not to rule it and puff it up and sit on a throne. I need someone who, he ain't perfect. He's going to battle some lust. He's going to have some anger issues, but he'll do my will. So get the heifer, go to Bethlehem, find Jesse, invite his family to a sacrifice. To a sacrifice. I thought you were anointing a king. So he does. Jesse, come on out. And if you keep reading, you got, here he is, he's marching his sons out. He says, Jesse, now listen, let me tell you something. I know all these people think we're going to sacrifice this cow, and we will. But one of your sons is going to be king. So I need you. Let me see these sons. I don't know which one God picked. Well, surely it's Eliab over here. And even, even Isaac. Uh, or I'm sorry. I, I was looking over there at Isaac. Even Samuel. <laughs> even Samuel looked at him and said, oh, this has got to be it, man. Look at Eliab, man. He said, Eliab standing there like this. Say, Where's your other brothers? I think they're over there. You know? He said, hey, look. He says, surely this has got to be him, right? Because that's kind of what we do. You talked about it. You said, hey, we, we take people's, uh, all of their accomplishments and all of their qualifications and, and we deem whether or not they're worthy. Well, surely, look, look at him, man. He's a big strap, strapping Eliab, right? Not only that, I mean, he's, he's got to be the man for the job, right? The man for the job. And God said, no, Samuel, you're looking on the outside. I'm not worried about that. I'm checking to see what the heart says. And then it was Abinajab. Well, look at this. It's got to be him, right? Got to be him. Got to be this next one. Look at the size of that noggin. That guy's brilliant. He had a full ride to Hebrew U, God. Surely, <laughs> surely he's got what it takes to, no, 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 no. He goes through all these things. Finally, he said, Jesse, you got any more sons? Because I ain't feeling it on. He goes, well, yeah, you know, we, I got one more. Yeah, he's back on the back 40 herding my sheep along. He thinks he's a pop star. He writes songs, <laughs> lyrics, poems. Thinks he's an artist. I just need him to babysit the sheep. I don't know. I don't know if he's king material. I know he doesn't, he doesn't match the image of Eliab. I know that's a problem. 
I know what's taking place today. I'm going to step on some toes. That's okay. You walk on them all the time. I'm going to walk on them real quick. Can I walk on your toes a little bit? Yes, sir. I understand what's taking place today does not match the image of Eliab. I understand that we're, we all come from different walks, different places, different denominational backgrounds, which means we all carry a bunch of baggage, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. And we've all been taught various things. And so I want to address, I want to put to ease some of us, because I know some of us have been processing what's taking place today. That this David that we're bringing down here doesn't match Eliab. It's not every day that you see a woman ordained into ministry in churches. But I promise you this is not some progressive agenda. I promise you this is not a political statement. I promise you I'm not getting up here. I'm not a woke pastor. Trust me, I'm sleep. I am so sleep. <laughs> I'm so sleep. I'm living the dream. Okay? Are we all right? Are we all right? I, please, please understand. I'm, don't think I'm mocking anything. I'm not. I want to I speak truth and love. And what I love, what I love about the congregation, okay? What I love about this place, what I can't take in churches, and I've grown up in churches, what I can't take in churches is complainers. Folks complain in churches. Let me tell you about sheep. Sheep, pretty little soft sheep, right? Sheep bite. Right? Now, And what's been beautiful about our congregation as we've been prepared to celebrate, I've had several come with questions. I like questions. Questions are awesome because questions mean people are searching and people are hungry and people want to discern and understand. What does that translate into? Growth, maturity. God told us at the beginning of the year, I'm growing a church. And he wasn't talking about numerics. He's talking about us. We're the church. We got to grow. We got to evolve. We have to understand his heart. So I get it. We got all kind of craziness going on. We got God saying, go anoint a king. Oh, but tell everyone you're sacrificing a heifer. We have Paul in 1 Timothy that says, are we okay still? Yeah. All right, we're trying, I'm, I'm telling you, long way to go, short time to get there. I'm, I'm, I'm rushing through this, believe it or not. We have Paul in 1 Timothy. I'm aware of what 1 Timothy says. 1 Timothy says, if you, want to, if you want to go read his letter to 1 Timothy, or in first, his first letter to Timothy, it says, it says uh, if I can kind of paraphrase, he says, he says uh, I, do not, I do not permit women to teach or to have authority, and that women should remain silent in your gatherings or in your church. Say, so did he write? Yeah, he wrote it. It's in there. How do we reconcile all this stuff? Okay. Uh, also, he mentions it in 1 Corinthians, okay? Now, how many here have multiple children? Do you parent your children exactly the same? They have different mindsets. They have different needs. They have different ways of going about doing things. So you have to, you have to parent children according to their individual needs. How many understand that regions and people and cultures have different mindsets and needs you know uh ranti is from nigeria 
If I were to go to Nigeria, I would need to understand what their culture is. Why? Because something that may be a blessing over here may be offensive in Nigeria or vice versa, right? So, and, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. When a lot of times us preachers, I'm indicting us, we'll take the word of God, we'll read it at face value and we run with it and we make it a universal concept. So really quick, I'm going to try to explain something. This is not justification. This is the word I prayed. Lord, help me explain this. And this is the word God gave me. Because Paul did say that in his first letter to Timothy. Yet he said something completely different to the Galatians, the church in Galatia. Is Paul a hypocrite? No, he's dealing with different kids and different personalities, right? Different sheep with different nutritional needs. So uh, you have to understand where was Timothy pastoring. He was pastoring in Ephesus. What was going on in Ephesus? Ephesus was the, we know this from the book of Acts and some of Paul's other writings, Ephesus was the epicenter for Diana worship, the Greek goddess Diana. Okay. Now what happened is the people in the region said, Diana fell from heaven to us. Well, what happened was a meteorite fell Okay. In short order. And they said, Oh, this is the Greek goddess, Diana fallen from heaven. That's a one ugly woman, right? <laughs> it's a rock, right? And so what they did, they built a temple. And so this meteorite sat in the house, in the doorway of the temple of Diana, where you had a lot of worship toward the feminine. Okay. Folks would worship Diana. There, there was uh, female priests, prophets, priestesses, uh, there was, there was uh, some of the worship also uh, was immoral. Uh, it was of sexual nature. There were sacrifices and women were held to uh, a, a different standard of the divine. And so you have this culture in Ephesus where folks are just glorifying the feminine. And so all these folks are starting to get, the church in Ephesians was a mixture of Gentile and Jew. Well, of course, in the Jewish culture, women were very, uh, submissive, very meek, very quiet. Uh, they didn't speak much in public. They would speak more at home. And so you have these clash of cultures coming in. You've got men who are now getting saved, who are trying to elevate Jewish women. And the families are like, whoa, what's going on? You've got women that are coming in, getting saved and fellowshipping that are used to uh, men. Why aren't you kissing my hand and kissing my ring and kissing my feet or whatever, you know, uh, because they are, you, these, this is the culture in which they were brought up in. And so now all of a sudden you've got Paul who planted, helped plant this church, had to establish some stuff and say, okay, you know what? We're not letting women teach. We're not going to let women teach. We want everyone to sit down and women remain silent. Why? Because they wanted to change the culture. They needed the word of God to be permeated into the ears and the minds of the women. Okay. Now, why? Because you know, now, if, if, if you want me to preach this, say, well, no, preach 1 Timothy at face value, then that's wonderful. We'll preach it. That means my blessed sister Erica over here, who sounded like an angel this morning. Sorry, don't get back up here in, on this mic, right? My dear sister D, who just talked about the incredible job that God's doing in her life and her family's life. Awesome. But you were out of order today. How many women sang out loud this morning? Wrong. Uh. Ladies, make sure shh, you keep your mouth shut. 
till you get back home, get back in the kitchen. Then you can talk to your husband and ask him about anything about this, right? You think that's really going to go over well? <laughs> so, where is the balance? The church of Galatia, it's funny, you read Galatians, Paul has to say this to the folks in Galatia, who are this incredible melding, molting, melting pot of ethnicity, culture, everything else. He says this to the church in Galatia. Why? There were different needs. It was a different situation for them. He says this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. What was he saying to them? He was saying this, the same salvation that you were saved with, ladies, is just as strong and powerful as the salvation I was saved with. The same Holy Ghost that is alive and well in your life is just like the one that's alive and well in my life. And the word of God that can come forth out of your mouth is just as powerful and true and real as the word of God that comes out of my mouth. Okay? So, I realize sometimes this shakes up cultures, religious cultures. But I promise you what has taken place today is of God. And it's already taken place in this church. Those of you who have been with us for a few years, hey, we ordained... Uh, Kate Jordan and Becca Lampert into the ministry, and they've been rocking it. They've been operating in the Holy Spirit and everything else. So, you know, so I get it. We're not ordaining an Eliab today. We're ordaining a David, someone who's different, right? Now, how are we, how are we going to reconcile this fib because God can't lie God can't lie it's not the matter of God doesn't tell lies no he can't lie if he calls a dog a cat it becomes a cat he calls the things that aren't as though they were God can't lie so what is he up to because really in, in reality it was a sacrifice I thought you were anointing a king I am and he's going to be a crazy sacrifice too. Why? Because it would be 15 years from the day the oil was poured out on his head. 15 years before gold ever was crowned on top of him. 15 years. 15 years of suffering. 15 years he would serve as a minstrel for Saul and be betrothed to his army. Only to have Saul chuck a spear at him and try to pin him to a wall. He would have to leave his best friend, never to see him again, Jonathan, and flee to the hills and hide in caves. He would miss so bad the waters that he could drink from Bethlehem that his men would risk their life to go get him some water and bring it back. He would be on the hunt from Saul. He would be a fugitive. He would find himself down in Philistia, acting like a madman just to save his own life. His home would be burnt. His wives would be kidnapped. His spoils would be pillaged. And before he had a chance to muster up an army to go chase him down and get it back, his own men would threaten to kill him and mutiny. Fifteen years of sacrifice before he ever would be crowned the way he was anointed. He wasn't lying when he said, come with me to the sacrifice. I thought we were anointing a king. I thought we were anointing a preacher today. Let me tell you something. 
I have found this in kingdom work. Anytime God elevates you, he's not sitting you on a throne. He's laying you on an altar. You can talk to anyone on our pastoral staff. You have no clue the loss and the suffering that they have experienced and are currently experiencing just to try to walk obediently and serve the kingdom and shepherd the fold to the best of their ability. I've told you before, and those of you who've walked with me understand this, I lost everything to stand here and to preach. I lost everything only to realize I, I lacked nothing. Romos, it is not, it is not crazy and by chance that last November when we went out to lunch after a few weeks of you guys praying and seeking God when I was crazy enough to walk on the back 40 when I said God who is it do you want to pastor our children now to lead the children's group Becca was shifting into youth pastoring with her husband so we need a children's group? Do we go out to seminaries? Do we put out the clarion call? And God said, no, I got someone. Sat with you guys at your house in October. Said, I want y'all to pray about this. November, we all go out to eat. And you tell me, yes. And it thrilled my heart. I was trying to make it easy. I said, hey, just come be our children's director. Take care of Sunday mornings for us. So that's why we got kids running around everywhere. Because, you know, she's in here. She's not out with the kids right now, right? So, that's all right. That's all right. Let them play. It's all right. That's right. Let them learn to fall in love with church in the house of God. But you thrilled my heart because you said, I'll do this, but I don't want to just direct because I, be, I feel called to be a shepherd. I want to be a children's pastor. And I said, yes. Why? Because David was already shepherding before he was ever even called right? That's what God has done for all of our staff. We were already doing stuff before God, before any man, they called me the porch pastor. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Four and a half years I was pastoring people in this neighborhood before anyone said, hey, come actually be a pastor for us. Okay. Man, was that a bad idea? <laughs> so, but when you sat at the table and you said, I want to be ordained, I said, awesome. And then she starts crying. I said, okay, no, 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 no. We don't have to ordain you. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> but it's not by coincidence that you went home and for your household, all hell broke loose. And it has been a fight and a battle. And I know, I know y'all were already walking through some stuff prior, but man, it's almost like someone poured gasoline on that fire, right? You want to talk about a burning point. There it was. Critical mass, right there. Why? Why would that happen? Because he's preparing you. There's an altar that's waiting for you today. It's not a throne. We're not elevating her. You have to understand, we're not elevating her above the rest of the congregation. We're laying her out on an altar. Not just her, but her family. This just doesn't impact her, it impacts the whole family. The reason why is this. It's about the anointing that you've got to operate in. Starting today, officially. There's an anointing 
And here's the thing about the anointing. Now it's powerful. Isaiah chapter 10, 27 tells us that the burdens are lifted and the yokes are destroyed because of the anointing. Right? That's some powerful stuff. But if you read in the Old Testament, what it took for the anointing to be made, it, it was made of different components. It was made of myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, cassia, and olive oil. Myrrh, ooh, that's very aromatic. Smells really good. Sweet cinnamon, ooh, that's some sweet stuff. That's some dessert. Calamus, another aromatic sweet scent. Cassia. Cassia is actually known as bitter cinnamon. Or, or you can find it now, it's called Chinese cinnamon. Right? You don't, want to, you don't want a spoonful of that, you'll gag. Kind of tastes like cinnamon, but it's tart. Right? And then olive oil. So in other words, he takes the aroma and essence of your life. And he takes the sweet experiences all the loving things you guys have encountered. And he takes the bitter loss and the heartache. And he blends it all together in oil, olive oil. Man, the tricky thing about olive oil. If you ever go to Israel, don't be, like, I love olives. Be careful. When you bite in, they get the freshest olives, but be careful. They don't pit them. You'll crack a tooth. Here's the thing about olive oil. Precious olive oil. You can't get it from the meat of the olive. The part of the olive you eat, there's no oil in that. The flesh of the olive, as they call it, you've got to have all the, fre- the flesh removed to expose a hard heart, that pit. And you're going to throw that into a bunch of them into a big bowl with a boulder. And that heart has to be crushed in order for any oil to come out. So if you're going to operate it in an anointing, he's going to take all the essence of your life, the sweetness, the loss, he uses it all, and then he's got to crush a heart. Rebecca, you mentioned to me a few weeks back, you said, oh, my heart feels crushed. And I was just like, man, what a powerful anointing this woman's going to be operating in. That's why everything went crazy. He was hurrying up to make an anointing that only you can operate in because it's only your experience. So I'll stand.